Welcome to the UX Research Podcast. I'm Lon Taylor, founder and principal user experience researcher at First Insights, a research firm specializing in usability testing, ethnography, focus groups, and other types of qualitative research engagements. It's my hope that the discussions and interviews you listen to will be educational, engaging, and entertaining. So we are on beautiful Long Island, where I grew up, and uh, one of the folks who I've known for many years on Long Island uh, helped really get me into the whole digital space, Pat Avioli, who's associate professor in the design department at Long Island University, their post campus. And back in the 90s, I won't say which 90s it was, but back in the 90s, uh, Pat really introduced me to the coming wave of the internet, of digital technology, and honestly, I've been hooked really ever since having a career managing strategic digital marketing projects and eventually wound up over the past 15 years focusing on UX research. So almost all the folks that I've met over the years in our industry really do share a love of learning because I think that technology is all about new methods of communicating, new tools of communication. So there's a natural proclivity for people in our industry to like learning. And one of the best resources that, that I've had throughout my career who really taught me a ton and who always learns new things is Pat Avioli. Pat, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and uh, we'll get into some questions about how we can both chat and help educate the next generation of UX leaders. Lon, thank you very much. Uh, this is weird for me because I'm usually on the other side of this. I've never been interviewed in 30 years. <laughs> I don't think I was ever interviewed maybe once or Sabold when we were back working with them. And thank you for the opportunity. It's very cool. How long have I been in the industry is the question of 40 years. That hurts so much to say that out loud. 1978, I graduated college. It is 2018, 40 years hard. I started as a paste-up artist, believe it or not, the glue and, and wax and all these things. And I was horrible, absolutely horrible at it. I was a good designer, but anything to do with your hands, I could do it, but after two times, I was like, what am I doing? So I always looked towards how can I just purely use my brain? as opposed to my fingers. And that took a really long time. So I started out in very simple dirt paste up. Fortunate to fight my way to McGraw-Hill, which took a long time to get to. And I was lucky enough to get brought into McGraw-Hill in 1984. 84, 1984, I just keep saying that over. And while I was there, I had an amazing editor, Sybil Parker. Uh, she was the most appropriately named person in the world because she was of many personalities. But one of the personalities she did have that was great was her ability to see the future. One day, she, uh, I was in my cube. She called me into her big office and had a old desktop computer going. And it was running Lotus Notes, one, two, three. And she said, how do you think this works? I go, I get it. You put a number in this cell. That sells the equation, and that's the answer. She said, very good. Go back to your cubicle. The next morning, after fighting for two, oh, how many years to get to McGraw, the next morning, there's this big, white, multicolored box logo in my cubicle. I said, what is this? She said, it's a Macintosh computer. You have to learn it. See you later. There's a cassette tape. I said, I just 
killed myself to get here, and now I got to do this. So long story short, I started asking around, and she helped me, of course. And there's a gentleman at McGraw-Hill at the time, Cesar Delvalio. Caesar would later come into our lives to get us Tommy Hilfiger. Long story on that. Caesar was my mentor. To this day, 32 years later, I can call him on the phone. I was once speaking for the Advertising Production Club of New York at Adobe headquarters, and I needed a guest speaker to come in and to be part of the panel. And I, I texted him. I said, Cees, uh, would you be able to come in to Adobe headquarters and speak for me on a panel? Uh, well, well, what do I know? Caesar, you brought electronic publishing to the largest publisher in the world. Oh, yeah, right. I did that because he was retired by now living, I didn't know, six hours away from New York City. He never told me. Showed up two days later. Had a sandwich. I said, where are you? He goes, well, I took the train for six hours to get here for you. What? So we're still friends to this day. And McGraw in 1986, 586, was when everything in the world changed for me. I was working on the Encyclopedia of Science and Technology, 21,000 pages, all done by hand. All done by hand. This machine came in. I saw 21,000 pages, zoop, down to a CD-ROM. And I said, okay, this is going to be a problem for the industry, not for me. And I was part of the team. They actually asked me, what do you think about this or that? I said, what the hell are we doing? And they told me how it was going to work, and it was stunning. At that point in time in 1986, 87, I said, when I'm 50, this will not be here, this industry. I left in 88. I had a skill set that no one else had. And my close friend, who happened to just be the design director for People Magazine for 15 years, Phil Simone, college roommate and best man at my wedding, and the reason why my son's named Philip, was leaving an adjunct position on Long Island at SUNY Farmingdale and said, hey, would you want to do this? And that's how education started for me. And the ability to do what I could do with the traditional they hired me right away, and I spent 10 years at SUNY and 20 years. This is my 21st September at LIU Post, and it's been an amazing 30-year uh, career. Well, so, that's I mean that that's great, and and certainly congrats on the the career your your, your career in education, and I, which I think is is having been a former teacher myself yep. for a couple of years sure. um, at, at the junior high school level. Teachers are highly underrated, so all, all of the props go out to teachers. Um, and I think that one of the things that when we did start to work together yeah. that was great was that you had a, a bunch of students that were uh, current students uh, and had recently graduated uh, who were starting to accumulate just the digital design skills. There were still paste-up artists oh, yeah. in, the, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. That were doing things by hand Absolutely. with glue and you know and boards and, and that wax. type of thing. So we we had the good fortune of meeting through my dad. Uh, yes. Through, through taking a couple of computer courses with you to for my own education, how to use a Mac and to help your father's company. Right? Exactly. Course, yeah. And I think that what one of the things that we both saw early on was how much things <laughs> were going to change. Given like once Photoshop came out. Game changer. Game over. And it was it was mind-blowing. Funny um, story about Photoshop. I'm training Pergamon Home Centers. Gentleman comes in named Travis Rivers. Uh, think of the nastiest David Letterman you could ever imagine. <laughs> Big Texan. He would look at you and be cracking his knuckles 
as he talked to you. And he liked me for some reason. He was a network guy. I was a desktop training guy. And this is while I was teaching. I was training companies all over Long Island on desktop, like your fathers and others. And Travis said to me, he was from Texas. And if you know the history of Photoshop, the boys are from Texas. Thomas and John Noel, the inventors of Photoshop. And Travis says to me, I need you to come back here and take a look at this. I go, what is it? He goes, it's going to change electronic publishing forever. And I go in a room and Photoshop boots up and they were able to clone out a hand on a textured sweater and I looked at him and I was like oh my god because I have a background in actual film process not processing but actual old school print production where you had pieces of film you opaqued it you cleaned it you cut it when I saw them take that hand out in two seconds I said this field is over completely and those were the moments that I brought to the classroom and it was a little bit like you know, the devil. At sometimes I was teaching an evening class with industry people. When I showed make separations in PageMaker, people in the class who were industry printers from the local area stood up and started yelling at me. One guy took the four pieces of white, you know, regular laser print paper that were the different color separations, cyan, magenta, yellow, black, brought it back to his shop, and the next week he came in with film that was generated from those four pieces of paper. And he put it down and said, boys and girls, this works. Yep. And that again was the point in time, it was like, oh my Lord. Yeah, so we, we really were fortunate. And it was fun also to see- Tremendous fun. To see things change literally every month. Leapfrog. There was something new that came out. And you know, we, we also teamed up with guys that did color separations. Yeah. That's not an industry anymore. No. Unfortunately, it no. just, it's all changed. Those so, guys were getting paid $70 an hour in 1980s. Yeah. And that went away overnight. That's right. Whole, overnight. Direct to film and, and the, printed, the printed product has <laughs> decreased dramatic, dramatically in terms of its importance, to say the least. Let's, Ask the Daily News. Yeah. Yep. Just laid off half their staff. So, Pat, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was thinking of when we started in the industry, what were some of the skill sets that you saw that were needed at that time for people who were getting into really what we termed as multimedia? The term UX wasn't around at that point. The, in the term internet was just being talked about. So it was more of multimedia designer. What were some of the skill sets that you were teaching that we focused on at, at that point? The skill sets were diverse. We had teams. We had individual people will do motion. Some will do just basic background design. Some will do typography design, character, coding. But the beautiful person, the person who really got all of this, and we're going to use the deity Larry Wolf, as an example, I was just... Larry was great and still is great. So. Still is great is right. He is driving the bus at iMirage and Liquid Interactive has won more one shows in the Allentown area than unbelievable. And he just, uh, we were just talking yesterday because uh, Crazy Man is going to try and help me on a project I have. I'll tell you about that later. Larry, we actually wanted to spray paint at SUNY Farmingdale on the wall. Who is afraid of Larry Wolf? <laughs> which is a uh, literary reference. He was the, the unicorn. He is the blue squirrel. He was the purple squirrel, the 
can code, can do 3D, can do motion, can figure things out, can design, can do typography. That group you were just talking about, the four of them, the reason they were in that room is because of who they were. Janice, who to this day I still call her Dimple Girl, she was the, is the hardest working woman in show business. She's amazing. But her skills of coding and design and everything were amazing and her work ethic. Joey, always radical Joe, one of the best designers I've seen in 30 years, can take anything and make it work. A brilliant young man. And Richie Neal. Richie is the guy you want in the foxhole. When the, when incoming's happening, uh, definitely. the guy in the foxhole you want is Richie Neal. I'll be running around screaming like a maniac, and Richie is the guy who'll be like taking care of business. So those four were there with us at Digital Interactive in the early days because of their skill sets. They overlapped beautifully. Janice could do some coding. Janice could Richie could do some three D. Joey could design anything you need. That four together were that was an amazing group of people. The sense of humor, the skill sets, the attitude, the work ethic of all four, and five of us, and six with you, of course. But that core of four was huge. So their skill sets are perfect. Yeah, we had we had a great um, great connections, and just there was a lot of wonderful camaraderie there huge. at that company. We worked on all these early projects. Unbelievable names. Um, what? How do you feel that that's changed? Do you feel that? the the students that you see now are more specialized do they need to go down specific pathways and just get really good at one pathway or do you still see the need for students to get a more well-rounded and maybe less fragmented educational background yes and no in the if if i could finally design the curriculum i want after just a mere 30 years and other schools have and I look at their curriculum and I go, yes, exactly what you should do. There would be, like anything, there would be a breadth up front, a width up front of what you're touching on. But once you've seen where your skill set lies, your natural skill, you should be able then to concentrate your last 18 months in college or maybe two years. Two years may be a little bit too much. So example, you start out doing screen design, item design, uh, navigational elements, some coding, some 3D, some video for that first year to 18 months. Then you pick, or we pick for you as a teacher, saying, you know what, I know you love this, but I'm telling you after 30 years I see this strength. Then you concentrate. And it's just common sense. Years ago, no. Years ago you had to tap dance. You had to be able to tap dance, juggle the plates, and do everything. Today it's been accepted, so now they're actually putting out real ads. Now, we talked about re recruiters, right, and it's hysterical. You have to be able to HTML, CSS, PHP, some jQuery. And on top of that, you must be an excellent typographical designer, know the creative suite inside and out, and write copy, and understand market research. I don't know who applies for those jobs. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they exist. I, I I don't either, and I think that one of the things that you know that I see that I hear about from folks who are looking to staff up is that yes, the educational system is starting to adapt and put together real, really good programs, um, but it's it's gotten fragmented. You know, there's there's for people who oh, are yeah. good coders. You know, there's all, the whole world of cybersecurity for people who maybe are more. On, on artistic leaning, 
They want to get into visual design. The aesthetics. Um, the, the, the but then user. there's lots of folks like, like me who can do user experience design, but not visual design at all. So it's and this is where the team is necessary. Correct. Skill sets are diverse. Yeah. Skill sets, as we've always said, Lana. You know, again, we haven't spoken in a long time, but we we know it just because it's what we do. Yeah. The evolution of this is so fast and so upward. I like to compare it to the ever uh, iconic hockey stick that we talk about in this field. Yes, in our early years, it was kind of going up, but man, Oshevitz, uh, two thousand four. It three, it hit and just went right through the roof for the yeah. last fourteen years, and it's not stopping. It's not, and I think that mobile has had a huge impact <laughs> on on the the ever increasing cr- learning curve. Oh, yeah. And I think that you know one of the interesting things that I see is that other than the educational system and the college system that uh, where where you're working, we have places like Code Academy, General Assembly, Absolutely. coming in and teaching more maybe hands-on which uh, upsets me to be so honest with you really it so really what, does so what, upset tell, me tell us about what the, the classes that you're teaching <laughs> and you know maybe what is being taught and what's what the educational institutions could be doing a little bit better well this a lot of schools are you have pratt parson suny farmingdale a lot of schools are doing it I study the curriculum because I keep trying to introduce it. Mm. And it's really done well. Now, the graduate program I ran for 20 years, that I can talk about because I did help to shape and rework that curriculum. The thing I would constantly try and do and constantly evolve it and constantly evolve it was to start with your beginnings, your, your early code, your stronger code, and then on for two more classes. But if you didn't want to be a coder, your emphasis could be on, obviously, IA, information architecture and UX, and visual design. And when you did your thesis project, yes, we had 12 courses, two of which were thesis, one thesis research thesis, so we had 10 courses, right? Of those 10 courses, when I, I can't believe they let me do this for 20 years, when I evaluated where your thesis was going, the question I always asked you is, what do you want to do? Which area? You can't be all of these. It does not work. There's Larry Wolf is like <laughs> Larry Wolf is one that star appeared over Bethlehem. You're like that doesn't <laughs> happen every week. So it would be foolish. Yeah. I'm so fortunate with what I did for there for 20 years with, of course, my colleagues, Rich Del Rosso, the hardest working man in academia you've ever seen. People like Andrea Urist, who did little minimal things like the uh, Metropolitan Museum kiosks and on and on, who were my colleagues, and Anthony Pizziatola, Angela Pisano. I always hire nice Irish kids. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, Hillel Duclatz, Oscar Castaneda. I go on with names and names of adjuncts I've had over the years who were always my students, except for Andrea. Why were they my students? Because I knew them, I could trust them, that they wouldn't go down a path of teaching what they want to teach and staying to what was valid. If you do the right thing with individuals and you know how to teach to them, remember Dewey, if we teach today's students the way we did yesterday, we will rob them of their tomorrow. That was the quote from Dewey. I'm probably paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. My point being is you have to get to know each student, yeah. especially in a graduate school environment. So let's talk about maybe some high school students who, oh might, who, might, be, who might be listening to us. <laughs> and, you know, 
what are they coming into? Like, what are they bringing to the table when they come into college? I like have all the high school students built their own websites, built their own mobile apps. Do they know how to code? And how, you know, what it's is bizarre. what is that like when those kids? I mean, it, for, it, well, first the first question is: Do they really have those skill sets? It was some or is do. It just our perception as guys that are a little bit older that have been around for a while think that every high school kid knows how to do all these things. Well, first of all, I don't have uh, butterscotch candies in my pocket, so (laughs) I'm not at the grandfather age yet. I have been teaching for 30 years and seeing these high school kids evolve. One of my freshmen now is a major high school teacher at East Northport or Northport High School, Anthony Cooley. He has now done very well for himself in the fine art world. I am extremely fortunate here at Post. I work with something called Honor Scholar, where we reach out to high schools and work with the teachers and try and see what they're doing and help them and do whatever we can. There is one teacher, and I hope if she hears this, she's going to be so embarrassed. Deja Gomez Vance, if you could pour some kind of model and keep that and then just keep making more of them, she was in industry. She worked for some of the biggest, uh, Klein Davis, some of the biggest pharmaceutical agencies, came out and went into teaching. She is, her nickname is Gogo Gomez. She has an incredible uh, uh, fine art aesthetic, and then the design and advertising side is brutal. Her ex- ability to work and deal, and I just sit back some days like, who is this kid? I'm like, are you sure we're not related? She is an amazing teacher. She gets in there, boy, like a little 110-pound uh, middleweight boxer, <laughs> head-to-head, teaches design like you've never seen, technology like you've never seen, uh, has produced students that Johnny Mazzarella and Vincent Branciforti, two nice Irish boys again, uh, that have soared when they left post. They came into mm-hmm. post with skill sets that some of my colleagues said, do we just hand them the paper? Like, this is amazing. And these, and these were high school kids high school coming, kids coming the, in. The program, yeah. Coming in, we were like, who are these two? I'm like, no, 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 this is Gomez. And then finally they started looking at portfolios of Gomez, and they're like, who the hell is this? I'm like, dude. I got so lucky. First day I walk into Gomez's class, there's a six-foot-tall hand-painted version of Cosmo Kramer. I looked at her. She looked at me. I said, we're going to get along just fine. (laughs) And wound up her best friend in college was one of my students. Really bizarre. I've been working with her for eight years. The students she turns out are amazing. However, there is at MEPM. There is a crew at MEPM, Christine Stevens and Lisa Federici and Lisa Kalish. I always say, say Kalish for me. <laughs> and she doesn't get it. I'm not even Yiddish and I get it. So uh, she's like, what are you talking about? Those three are excellent. And I have a Jessica uh, Conte, previous name Spotafori, who is at uh, JFK Belmore. Those are the small group that I know, and they are kicking butt taking names. They're producing good kids. They're getting some support administration-wise, which is cool. And I think as we start to understand this concept of STEAM, science, technology, education, art, and mathematics, Mm -hmm. or engineering, excuse me, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, to see how they really go together through, and I hate to use the word vocational, but, you know, doctors went to vocational school. Lawyers went to vocational school. Teachers went to vocational school. 
a lot of the people that we hold up as the high professions in our field, they went to profession, they went to vocational school. Yep. It's yep. applied theory, not just pure application. So they're turning out some great kids all over Long Island, yeah. but I can't sing Gomez's praises high enough. She's an amazing person. So from the student's perspective, you talked about a couple of standout students Many that, that have come to you. So from the, and I think that this is maybe a, a chat that we can have to help, to help understand what the HR folks and the recruiters are looking for and maybe get into the head of, you know, sort of the next generation of, of UX leaders. When, the, when your students are starting with you and they're in the program, what, what are your reactions from them? Are they, do they what do they want to learn? Great question. And, and, and how, do they, how do they get there? Like, what are they coming in? What skill set are they looking to have? What do they perceive as their steps after college? All right. One of the great, one of my heroes is Dr. John Maida. John Maida was a director of the MIT lab after Nicholas Negroponte being digital. Great book in 1995. He went on, he stayed at MIT for a while, went on to become the president of RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, for six years. They felt it was a huge mistake, and they actually made up buttons called Maida Mistake, and they circulated them on campus. Uh, He left after six years. A uh, personal good friend of mine is an alumni chair there, and there was we're going to get that connection harder soon. He went on to Kleiner Perkins and then went on to Automatique, which is the backbone behind WordPress. In his reflection, and he says quite clearly in a great video series called Design Disruptors, design started in the art department because they didn't know what to do with it at college level. Okay, As technology got introduced, it became stranger and stranger where it was. It has its only need is business. This is Dr. Mader's words. And I'm an artist in the sense of I love painting. And I've been in many shows, and I love it. I, I really do. Just two different worlds. So Dr. Mader clearly places it in the first opening sentence. And I was like, okay, I'm all right. Art, I'm paraphrasing, art creates the problem and ask the user to solve it. Designers are given the problem and their job is to solve it and present that to the world. And it's very true. If you look at a painting like Guernica, Picasso is saying, here is the problem. Towns are being bombed in Spain, right? And now how do you solve it, world? A designer is given, you know, I need to open this app up while I'm and they have to solve that problem. So there is two different things. When they do come out of high school and they don't have a Gomez, they don't have a Conti or Federici or Stevens or College, it's tough. They know they have an interest in something. And the example I use is that they're like concrete. They're all mixed up and already set. And you got, and you got to break it. And when I go into a classroom today with the gray hair, the hip bad, they're kind of like, why is this man here? And then it takes me a little while, and they're kind of like, oh, okay, he's cool. I don't know if cool is the right word, but he knows what he's doing. Uh, the thing that I, I latch on to is years ago, it was the how. How do you do this? And that's being taught really well in high school, especially by that little cohort I just named. The thing we jump on now, that they're taking care of the how more than ever before, the high schools, is the why. And once you introduce the why their eyes light up. Because if you try and teach them how to use Photoshop, in my humble estimation, they'll learn a great amount. But after a while, 
the speed in which they absorb, you're looking at 10 weeks a semester going, uh, that don't work. Now we got to teach the why you're designing it. Yeah. And, and that's th the interesting part. Yeah, that's, uh, you bring up a, a bunch of great points there. And I think that the speed in which someone can learn a piece of software, I mean, back when we were learning all this stuff, you couldn't go on YouTube no. and watch exactly. hours and hours of video of how to do specific things yeah. within a specific piece of software. And so the ability to self-learn some of these is huge tools difference. is is a, a huge different yes. uh, difference maker, and that's why I was asking the question. And yeah, they, they're like self-starters. What I think Absolutely. is that the high school kid who's interested in this field is going he's there. on YouTube. He's there. He's learning the the basics of the software, a basic skill set. But then you're 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 elevating that to the right. next level and saying, right. okay. Here's what you can use this to do. Dude, why are that's you doing solving it? a right. problem for a business, for and a community? And so it's taking it to that next level, which is what you're explaining and adding context to. Yeah. Yes. So that you have, you know, an empathetic designer who understands the world around them and, and does can a design and react to that. Successful design. Technology is a wonderful thing. I've made a living and bought my house and paid for my family and I love it. It's changed today. Today it's why. So let's talk for a minute about the next step in the process for aspiring UXers and folks who want to be in this field. One of the things that I've found based in Chicago, hmm. where DePaul University has a great both undergrad and graduate program for UX designers, is that I meet a lot of people that are about to finish their degrees, and they're wondering what the next steps are. And they get nervous. They a lot of these folks have paid a whole bunch of money, taken out taken out loans, and they're nervous about their next gig. So let's let's talk a little bit about that point where the students are becoming, you know, getting into the job market, and what you see as some of the tools and maybe tricks of the trade. To help them take to the help step. them get yeah. that job that they really want. Well, one of the things that goes on here is Professor Conover started Charles, and he runs an internship now for 21 years. That we place kids at NBC, we place kids at BBDNO, we place them. That's a fantastic thing, right? So that's the warm up. That's the warm up. We should have many of those. My opinion is we should have two interns. The kids themselves do it. Some kids kids do three internships. We bring in people from the field who are recruiters. We have a, a career seminar day. We bring in alumni, and they tell their story. Last time I ran it for Charles, I brought in six alumni, all with six- to seven-year gaps. So I brought in a real newbie from a year out. Mm -hmm. All the way to a gentleman who uh, had to be 16, 17 years out, something like that. And it was weird because now he's a senior VP, but he was that kid who did his thesis. And to see Carl Prizzi, who is uh, with uh, Bridgeline, I got him his internship when it was Lead Dog, which went to Iconics, which went to Bridgeline, and he's been there the whole time. To see his arc of development from beginning to end, he was able to speak to the kids in the room, and the room was packed, packed. We had a, a triple-sized studio room set up, packed. You didn't have a chair. And all the way down. So Stacy Zucker, who's now at Marvel, uh, excuse me, 
I forget which. I think it's Marvel. And she's talking about it, and now she's asking Carl, how do I do the next step? And all of them are there in a line. That, to me, is invaluable. That network of alumni that you can tap into. Jasmine Chelly. She was with, I can't believe I'm blanking. Thomas the Train Engine? Whatever the company is, Jasmine did the package and branding for them. They left. They moved to Florida. My point is when Jasmine was a student and she was showing her design work, I happened to be friends with John Romita Jr., who is, if you know anything about comics, Johnny and I went to SUNY Farmingdale together and we're still friends, J.R., J.R. He came here to speak numerous times. Everybody was, one girl was crying. One girl was crying that she was taking a picture with John. I was like, this is getting weird. <laughs> but he worked for Marvel for 37 years, yep. then went to D.C., his father, is John Romita Sr., worked with Stan Lee. Jasmine draws electronically with a Wacom, Wacom tablet, unbelievably. And she did speed. So she had a portfolio there. So I sit down next, and John's like, how'd you do this? And she's like, no, I did it all digital from the beginning. John's like, so her name is Jasmine. And John leans over and goes, would you like to speak to Disney? I go, John, her name's Jasmine. <laughs> He's like... He got her directly to the art directors at Disney. You don't do yeah. that. Because of who he was, he was able to take that kid and put them in a meeting with the art director from Disney. That's what we hope to do here. It is really tough to do today. So, yeah. So, so on those couple of points, it's, you know, it's staying networked with Absolutely. both friends and colleagues. And alumni. And, you know, and reaching out and continuing to learn and sort of. Yes. Asking for those internships because that way you're getting the real world experience. These kids, these to, kids take them on their in. own. Yeah. So tell tell me about like how important is it for students to develop those good networking skills and then on a tactical level, okay. have a good portfolio, have a good LinkedIn page. All right, I'm going to tell you a little story about a LinkedIn page. Portfolio, again, Professor Conover takes care of that class. They shine when they leave here. And these are digital portfolios. In, in They're paper printouts and digital PDFs I'm and, glad of you course, websites. Uh, Professor O'Daly, Terry, takes care of their uh, portfolio website. Gorgeous. Charles's work that he takes in, cleans up with them, shows them what to fix. Amazing work. All of our portfolios are stunners. That is so important for them. The LinkedIn story, I have been advocating LinkedIn for probably over a decade to these kids. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. One of my alumni, he's become one of my best friends. I speak three days a week to him. He's a very big deal now in a very big media company. One you would know. <laughs> he's huge. And he calls me up on a Friday. Pat, we got an opening. We need you newbies. Get me five. Okay. Get me five. Four of them had great LinkedIn pages. Four of them had contact info on the LinkedIn page. Four of them had a link to their website on the LinkedIn page and link to their resume. Those four got hired. The fifth one I couldn't get in touch with. Okay, I'm fighting. I finally get them. We missed the window. So if you want to ask how important is a LinkedIn page, it's Facebook you can get rid of. I mean, whatever. LinkedIn, people talk down about, but, dude, it's the first place I'm going if I'm going to yeah. help you. Yep. It really it really is. It's sort of a one-stop repository to have 
your connections, to yes. have links to your portfolio, yes. links to a PDF of your resume. It gets back to, I think, what we were talking about um, at the beginning of our conversation, which is a passion for this stuff. You have a passion for what yeah. you're doing in terms of education. Yeah. I've been fortunate to have found something that I'm passionate about yeah. with UX research. Yeah. We both really enjoy it. Yeah. We're both making a reasonable, a reasonable living. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, those are some of the takeaways as we wrap up our conversation sure. is that students should take classes that they're passionate about and also some that maybe they're not passionate about, but that give them the context to understand the bigger picture. Certainly having an both a digital and maybe a traditional portfolio is worth it, and yeah. that's something that students should be paying attention to. And then just the both the professional connections on LinkedIn and, and making the personal connections with yeah. some of the meetup groups Yes. Uh, like the IXDA, like yes. the UXPA. There are literally dozens and dozens, both in New York and Chicago and all the big cities, of meetup groups just around the umbrella of user experience Absolutely. designer. And then, you know, you talked about the importance of doing some freelance work and some Absolutely. internships. Internships. To really help key. students get to that yeah. point where they're employed at a job that they love. And the thing I love the most and would like to see happen again is that in-house student-run agency because that's where you can really make the mistakes before you hit the internship. If the internship today is not an internship. It's an entry-level job. They, don't, they do have to pay you today. Some, many of the places almost have to because it's an insurance liability. If you're on premises this much, you have to be considered somewhere a worker where you're covered by their liability, which is great. It's the first time you hear about insurance being a benefit. But that in-house agency is where you can mess up six ways to Sunday and you know meet that client for the first time and go, what do I say to him? And don't say that. And make all those mistakes before you hit that internship and then get the second and third internship. And it's just fun. I've been very fortunate, man. I uh, I don't know. My sister says all I do is talk, and I'm proving <laughs> it with that po this podcast right now. <laughs> well, tell us so. So as we wrap up, Pat, tell us about your own podcast. How someone oh, can get you. in touch with you and listen to some of the interviews that you've done with a whole variety of people in the industry. I'm still stunned that they gave me a microphone. I I, I really can't believe they said, yeah, let's give him one. Uh, the podcast. I love the name. It's called Rock paper pixels. And really what it's about is how our need to communicate is at the core of a new economy. And it's on iTunes. It's on uh, Google Play. Rock, paper, pixels. WCWP on your FM dial. Uh, and my name, Patrick Avioli. You'll never spell it. Trust me. A-I-E. V as in Victor. O-L-I. Tough one. My wife could not spell it for the first three years of marriage. I think there were other reasons. Uh, but I have my website, of course, is patrickavioli.com, A-I-E-B-O-L-I. -I. I am the only Patrick Avioli in the continental United States. It's a very weird thing to have. You can't miss me. I'm cherubic in nature. Uh, everything comes out of that site. If you just go to courses, books, pubs, everything's there. So that would be a great way to find me. LinkedIn again. Uh, Patrick Avioli, only one in the country. It's really weird. Uh, and it would be great to hear from a lot of people. And please go see the, the website uh, and also the podcast. They're all free. 
and my multiple books from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. My boy, Paul Royster, keeps publishing them. Uh, they're my fourth ones coming out this September. It's called Minutes and Seconds, The Scientists. And it really is about how we have lost that what-if moment. Because everything is provided by Professor Google today. We take what we need and run down the street screaming, I'm free, I'm free. And we have completely lost the what-if moment, which is if you want to read the book, again, it's free. Someday I'll learn how to make money at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll certainly look forward to, to the upcoming book. And, Pat, thanks so much for, for joining us for a couple of minutes and sharing your experiences. Again, I'm Lon Taylor, one of the only Lon Taylors in the continental United States, the founder and principal research director at First Insights. To learn more about First Insights or myself, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn or head to firstinsights.com. Thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it.